Welcome to Lore Wars. I am your dungeon master and host, Douglas Carlson. Now normally I am joined by my three party companions, uh, Maddie, Sean, and Rick Richie, um, who play Oros, the Steam Mech Wizard, the uh, Siri, the card-throwing uh, ludist, and um, finally the uh, Ram is the assassin Voidwalker. And uh, last time in our adventure, they got to their beginning goals of joining the Wolf Knights. Um, they were promised to start training and uh, towards being able to graduate into full-fledged Wolf Knights, and they all were shown their quarters and uh, slept through the night. However, since we've kind of reached a uh, milestone in that, I thought we would take a different approach this week uh, on this episode, and so I've brought in two of my close friends and uh, developers for the game um, to do a little discussion on the game itself, uh, the kind of what we plan on releasing, some discussion about mechanics, art, um, the universe, whatever kind of pops up uh, question-wise. I've had some viewers send me some questions, and uh, we'll see what comes of it. So I'm joined here by Riley Gamash. Hello, everybody. And Sean Baker. Hello. So, um, yeah, I wanted to wanted to start this right off by talking about um, something I'm going to bring up here on my computer, um, and that is the the races. Um, I think that's like one of the biggest parts about uh, Lore Wars. Um, I remember when we sat down and uh, first started playing out of notebooks in college, we had, as I, I talked about in the first episode of the previous stream and podcast, we had four races uh, that you could play from. It was human, elf, dwarf, and goblin. And uh, I remember immediately I was sitting down with Sean at the table in college and Sean's like, well, what about a minotaur? Well, what about a... Uh, whatever those horse people are, um, centaur. centaur, and it it got out of hand real quick. We had like <laughs> we had like twenty five races. Um, Dude, to be fair, most of our stuff got out of hand real quick. With ab- game. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and and then it started getting into, you know, what what can each of these races do, and et cetera, et cetera. And the discussions were like after class for a long time, I think for like just weeks, um, we would sit down at the table for like an hour and just discuss and write down a notebook of our, our ideas and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, what came of it when we, when we started refining the game, I brought it down to 16 races because I really wanted to emphasize the originality of the game. I didn't want these familiar, you know, races of, of a goblin or a dwarf or an elf or, you know, um, a centaur or a minotaur. I wanted to be very original or as original as we possibly could um, while still holding these uh, f- classic fantasy tropes. Um, you know, we don't have elves per se, but like the Wick are kind of a human-esque race that remind me a little bit of the elves. Um and uh, 
you know, so, so Sean, what, uh, you know, you were just talking to me before we started streaming about reverence. What, um, talk to me a little bit about your favorite race. Let me, let me hear a little bit about that. There, Lushan. Sean. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Jeez. <laughs> Come on, that's something in your head to just. Did you hear my question, Sean? Uh, something about reverence. What was your What's your favorite race in the game? Oh God, uh, it, it would have had been the original Wiccan. Okay. Because one of the subclasses you could have picked was called a puppet master. Yes. Oh, oh yes. Oh God. <laughs> You're gonna give so, me PTSD, Sean. Right. So, pretty much. Uh, when I made this character, uh, the whole thing I had in mind was at the very end of the uh, level entry is you could make a living being a puppet. So I still had my previous character who was dead in the timeline, and I wanted to bring him back to life as a living puppet to use as armor. <laughs> that, uh, you know, that brings up a good point is like we, we spent, you know, <laughs> the better part of two and a half years playing this game. Um, and, and then, you know, carrying it and on a lot of coffee and a lot of coffee and we played past college. And so like the universe that we crafted together, we would constantly reference and it, it like, without us even knowing it, it's, it built really quickly into like this full blown universe of like, I would kill off. Cause I, I often was the, the dungeon master and so you're only the dungeon master. <laughs> It was your dude. You designed this. Nobody else right. knew what, the, what we were doing. So I like I would I, I would kill off the party and then I'd make a new story. You know, fifty years later from that storyline, and they would reference and like it, it, things that happened fifty years ago, and we'd slowly like build this whole like it almost like to me I picture like a, a circle coming around over and over where like we were referencing things we played. And like almost in it, not attention, not intentionally building our own universe and like references and stuff like that. And I think that's, uh, you know, it was a huge inspiration when I sat down and started actually writing the guidebook of like, I pretty much used a lot of that stuff. Um, but yeah, uh, so the the race he's talking about, it, it was it the Wick, the Wick, that you have the puppet master. I'm pretty sure, but um. Yeah, there's there's a uh, a race out there that has a class where you can control soul puppets. Which... I know it got deleted though. Yeah, so it wasn't the way. Yeah, that one definitely we took out because Sean. <laughs> find, like, this is like somehow he would find some character, some race, and it would just be ridiculous. So Sean was very instrumental <laughs> in finding something broken about each race or class that he played, and then. Me, Doug, okay. Would be like, okay, now we gotta fix that. Like that, that just can't happen. Sean, Sean is. To be fair, to be fair, I literally sat down with Doug and asked him, "Is this what it means?" And when he said yes, I went. It's not my fault that it ended up stacking and breaking the game. There's two things with that. One is Sean is the epitome and the definition of a mid maxer. He will I will ask him to make a character and he will read through every little rule, every little stat and find some loophole, something no matter how how well I write it, how fine tune I do it and he will try to make it the most overpowered thing he can with what he's given. 
Um, I am not bone zone. <laughs> I didn't take it that far. That's our, true. Our, our buddy, it, it, when Doug put in stat modifiers, like, oh, it adds this. It adds this times two. <sighs> bone zone took it to a whole new level. Every single time there's there was mentioned a modifier, he would take the previous modifier, multiply that by his dice roll, and then multiply the next one, and then yep. the next one. But the total of the previous roll. Yeah, he basically just did correctly and would just. Yeah, that was the you know in the 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 years we played. So it's going on like five years. This project has been, and. Uh, no 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 no. Has it been over five years already? Uh, I mean, I started it the second semester of college, which was 2014, and it's 2019 right now. Oh, that's true. Dang. Yeah. <laughs> So um, when we started this project, you know, or that's what I was saying. So since we've been, you know, on and off playing this for five years, or writing, or or you know, messing with it for five years, we've had a lot of time to see Sean break the game, me go in and write a stipulation to that, Sean break another rule or another <laughs> character, me <laughs> fix that, and and so like one of the most notorious ones of that is I had a uh, a dragon. Um, it's actually in the guidebook, but I think it's different from what it used to be. But um, it's called a underbreath dragon, and uh, the the stipulation with the underbreath dragon is that you now now you can't it has you has to do um, under a hundred damage. If you do over a hundred damage in one attack, it gets nullified because he like enjoys the pain kind of thing. So you have to kill it really slowly, and um, that's kind of like the the stipulation to that boss fight. Um, but back then, I think it was the opposite. I think if it was under a hundred, it uh, it didn't hurt him. It had to be over a mm-hmm. hundred to hurt him. And my uh, our other roommate, who um, kind of went off and did his own thing from here, but you know we still love Jake. Uh, he he had a character. Um, one of the a bladeling was the name of the the race that is no longer unfortunately in the game. But, uh, you know, something like this might make its way back into the universe somehow, somewhere. But uh, it was a, a race of creatures who can manipulate their bones magically. And uh, he, I did actually add some stuff like that to the Palborns. They, uh, they have a subclass that can, like, do Spinal Spear. Um, but he could do... He could he could open his mouth and shoot his spine through his mouth and, like, into a projectile and damage the dragon... And he, he, I remember, like, this boss had, like, 500 HP. And uh, now I have a basic rule um, that I've discovered that no uh, one attack should really do over 200 damage. Um, and that would be, in the in our attack bracket system, that would be giving a uh, 20 multiplier and rolling in a 20. Or no, yeah, that, yeah, yeah? Oh, time, it's a time set. okay. There you go. So yeah, no, nothing really should go over a times ten uh, multiplier because that would make it a max damage of two hundred damage, um, and you know th- those are things we've learned over the years. And something like this is why is because I set up this huge boss. I was so excited, like yeah, you have to do you have to use all your big attacks on him because nothing low is gonna work. I was so excited, and uh, our buddy, yeah. <laughs> Our buddy Jake just uses a spinal spear attack and instantly killed it. And I was just like, well, there goes that boss fight. I guess we're moving on tonight. I expected it to last like an hour for you guys to figure out why you weren't killing it. 
And they're like, no, time to move on. It's at that point that we realized how he did his math. Yes, that was another stipulation we learned. He's like, we had to explain that uh, it'd be like four four times five, right, is 20. But two times uh, uh, five. This modifier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, adding your your, your damage multipliers and then multiplying it towards the damage is different than, like, incrementally um, multiplying it. Okay, so uh, my base damage is a times five. So times five. Oh, then I have this back, and it gave me a times two at the time. So, a hundred times two. Oh, and then I right. have <laughs> this one right here. So, oh, yeah, just keep on going. Yeah, no, <laughs> we, we had to make it a real quick roll. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was a lot of trial and error during college. Absolutely, but... We started, like we said, we started out with tons of races all this op stuff and then through all the trial and error we kind of sort of whittled it down to the key 16 races that we wanted to have and then we kind of some of the races like doug said like doug like you said were um we kind of got rid of but we kind of incorporated some of the unique aspects of each of those races yeah into some of the final class some of the subclasses that we have now i, I believe you thought some of the Profits also incorporate some of them. Yeah, so like the profit system, it was something I came up with, for, I think like a year ago. Um, yeah. And it, yeah, it it hit me because I was before the profit system was like a. That's incorrect. What is it? The profits came to be uh, during our last year of college together. Well, I'm saying the but, the top tier, like the. the actual the like prestige leveling system yeah. rather than finding yeah. the books yeah so profits used to be where you'd have to collect like five novels or scrolls from a prophet to learn what they did and it became very tedious for like me the dungeon master to keep track of all that and like reward them properly when they did something like that and like it's boring when all everyone in the party got a profit scroll rather than like whatever so it was tedious, but like it added an element to learn past the max level. And then I think about a year ago is when I was sitting down and really like hashing through the and printing, like making a printed book kind of system. And I was like, well, what if, you know, it was a max tier and then you go into your own leveling system, which it, it really emphasizes for me of like why I started lore wars. And that was like, because we we used to just have drinks and play board games. It was kind of a tradition for the first semester of college. And near the end of the first semester, I've, I found a YouTube video of people playing a tabletop RPG. I think it was Dungeons and Dragons. And I was like, that would be fun as heck to play with the guys. And so I uh, watched a few more videos, wrote down in a notebook how to play, and I look, I looked on like their website. I looked through the books that you know they provided for free or whatever. And I was like, this is really dense. And like, also what I've learned is like, if you don't have experience, your your character can really suck, and you're not gonna have a good time. And so when we started playing Lore Wars, uh, you know, I it's something I kept with me this whole time is like, I don't want to take the freedom away from the player and the the profit system really helps with that of like okay 
first first all you got to do is pick a race that looks cool to you and like sounds cool to you don't worry about building a character that's going to be relevant or like is going to mid max or whatever like that this pick a character that looks cool you're going to have a really cool system of like all these pre-made you know you just can pick a class then pick a subclass you don't have to pick through all these stats and all these feats and all these um whatever uh, uh spells and stuff like that and then at level 20 you get to pick a profit tree and you kind of then after you've played a good while after you've played through a full character then you can get more freedom where you can go pick your own kind of max class and and then even in those max classes there's trees of abilities you can pick through and, and that's late game after you've already played up to level 20 and know how to play the game and you've been relevant this whole time rather than like picking a level one character fucking up the build and not being good from the start you know um and then so that's something i i, re, I like i'm very excited uh to have in the game um but yeah um, Doug, can, can we touch on how um the classes aren't standard like you like you can't just pick like uh a human pick from any class yeah uh, absolutely because i mean like even in history um you have like different regions had different fighting styles so your your uh, basic swordsman wouldn't be the same yeah from one from one nation to another and we kind of put that in with the characters like your human's going to have your human's going to be trained a certain way with certain abilities your magic users are going to have certain abilities in certain classes yeah it's like each individual race has their own unique set of classes and subclasses they kind of keep everything, like you were saying earlier, really relevant. There's no, there wasn't a whole lot, there's not a whole lot of like super, super min-maxing with it. It's, all right, every class is going to be pretty relative, uh, uh, viable. Yeah. And you can just kind of have fun with it. Yeah, I have up here on the on the screen the Barons, which uh, is, is like a bird race um, for those who are listening. They're kind of like bird, um, I, I would say like an eagle humanoid. Um and their kind of spiel is they travel the deserts of mid-realm mostly uh searching for powerful relics to keep out of the hands of the rest of the universe um they tend to be a bit racist because they think that they're the only ones that can keep these uh these relics power or like the their power contained and any other race would kind of mess that up come on man it's a fantasy it's a it's a tabletop <laughs> rpg there's gonna be there's gonna be some of that right there's always something between, you know, orcs, elves, dwarves, everything. Come on, man. Like, that's always going to happen. <laughs> the only thing I'm happy about with this book is that all the classes, the subclasses for the races, are with the races. Right. So if you In look... the original notebooks, oh, it would be all yes. the bases <laughs> and then all the subclasses. And you talk about that, like, I think Riley and I hashed, we even gotten, like, like heated arguments and like oh my god dude we've got <laughs> heated <laughs> arguments about game. about like layouts and stuff would be like i remember one of the biggest ones we were talking about is that it is the adventure books and the uh the campaign books and like i and i i admit that i was wrong now looking back on it and looking further down the road but like i was so adamant 
that the battle the the battle information and the battle map be where it's referenced in the story and he was like no put it at the end of the book and just reference it in the story so they go back to the end of the book and look at all the battle maps and all the battle stats and i was like well no it makes much more sense if they don't have to look around the book they just see it right where they're reading and the minute i started writing the campaign for ring of worlds every little combat in between every and you're all of a sudden you're just for the first one or two it was all right but like there's a dungeon that the characters haven't met in the previous stream yet where there's like 10 combats and i'm just like uh, where am i gonna put all these battle maps it's so awkward and then the stats i was like it does it doesn't work i see why it doesn't work now (laughs) but like him and i had serious like heated arguments about it but you know that's that's the tension that builds in it you know we just arguments too about book i wrote for you too mm-hmm. that, we're, that we're putting out like, like about all that stuff i mean it's just part of it's just part of how we develop the game it, it's you know? it's the creative process uh, where we you know we both have good intentions and just want it to be good and successful and, and be enjoyable for everybody and so the way we approach that are just very different sometimes um yeah like i gm'd uh for a preview thing and i was and i'm much more strict with the rules yeah with the with the rules and that's one of the good things like a lot of the rules for you know physical abilities um stuff like that are, are up to a gm's discretion of how they of how absolutely want to play the game and that's what i like it leaves a lot of it leaves a lot of uh creativity on the gm and the player's view as opposed to well this rule says you can't do this so yeah you can't do that it's okay what do you want to do and then it's up to the gm to be like you know that should take two actions, or that's only one action. So yeah. it leaves a, it leaves a lot open to the GM and a lot of creativity for players and stuff like that. Something like that is also a reason why, like, I added um, a page of rules in the guidebook that are more advanced rules, more um, particular rules for like how serious do your players and the dungeon master want to get. So there's like rules on okay technically speaking players have to eat two to three rations a day to live healthily to be in a healthy state and so something like that is like me personally i don't like getting that serious i don't want to hear every time your characters go to the bathroom i don't want to hear <laughs> you know i don't i don't about that because we do that because we would that <laughs> i don't want to hear <laughs> every little mundane meal i want to talk about the big overarching story but I acknowledge that some players like to get that in depth, and so I, I created the opportunity for that to happen um, without people getting lost too badly. Um, but yeah, you know, touching back a little bit, as I have here up on the screen, is the uh, the classes for the Baron people. And uh, so we have Tormentor and Chanter, and you can, you know, the Chanter have uh, these orbs, magic orbs or books, and kind of use verbal incantations to uh, cast their spells, where the Tormentors uh, are more weapon-based, and they use a one-handed sword and are really quick. Uh, They use, like, rapiers and stuff like that and uh, specialize in torturing and and, uh, dealing damage. And in in their culture, in their hierarchy, the Chanters kind of run their tribes since they are in touch with the higher magics. And the Tormentors are kind of like the interrogators and the... uh, you know the people who would go in and find out where these relics are and stuff like that and then you know you scroll down a little bit 
you got the levels one through five and then at six you can see there's two subclasses for each of these classes um, that allow you a little more freedom uh, in, a, in a choice um, but then if we scroll down just a tad more let me get to uh, the Genesis here so these are the Genesis um, they're little elemental beings um, that are no more than like three or four feet tall or I'm sorry four feet tall as I look at the stat um, and for those listening these are just little like I said four to feet fight four to five feet tall and they are literally made of an element but they have a soul embodied in them in a magic organ system um, similar to like a steam mech in uh, Oros in our campaign that we're playing um, and so these guys have two different classes completely different from the barons where they have a storm wielder um, somebody who uses a magic elixir um, to fuse and and bend with the elements or an elementalist who uses a staff to actually conjure the elements um, and use them to their whim so one like uses an uh, elixir and infuses elements into it to, to do damage where the other one actually summons the elements to hurt, to harm people and um, since you know in their culture they just naturally are in, inclined to use the elemental powers since they are like infused with them themselves but they lack some you know humanity some uh individuality and because of that if you read through their their backstory and stuff like that and their culture that i do have a good description of um they end up just becoming servants to powerful beings um more like almost slave or pet like um just because they are living elements more or less um and so you know you can get into these these races into their backstories into their cultures and you can even play that out it's not like you you know in the classic games you play as an elf which tend to be really smart really wise and really like sometimes racist or sometimes very knowledgeable of the worth but you're a hunter you know but you're a warrior just like any other race can be these races we i really wanted their classes to match their cultures and you can see that kind of what i was just talking about um riley i didn't ask you i asked sean at yeah. the beginning of the uh of the stream what uh what's your favorite race uh crystal mine they're actually crystal mine or void walker it's um, yeah it's funny you say that i i literally Voidwalker has definitely been since we started the most Popular. That's what I was gonna say. I probably had one in almost every campaign. Yeah. There's always out. one. There's almost always one, and I don't know what it is about facing through walls and stuff like that. That just we all just kind of love having the ability to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but Crystal Mine's also right up there too with one of my favorites. They're pretty unique. They're a pretty unique class. Um, they're very uh, magic heavy. Yeah. Um, and uh, they kind of draw. They uh, they uh, they kind of draw their magic from their crystals and stuff, correct? Right. Yeah. So yeah, their they're crystals kind of embedded in their skin, and they and they uh, kind of keep magic in there, and that's how they kind of like have a connection to it, uh, to the magical ability. And they have some very um, unique classes. Yeah, the well too. They have a lot of um, obviously uh, just really fun abilities and classes. 
I actually just brought up the crystal mines on the stream. Um, for those who are not uh, watching, they are humanoids who are kind of covered in, in scales almost, and then also have like protruding crystals out of their back, their heads, um, and other body parts. And these crystals, they come from the one of the seven realms uh, called the Sanctuary, which is a raw elemental plane of giant crystal trees and mountains and stuff like that. And so the actual realm is like growing off of them and they gain their power through that. And uh, so for this, you can see an instance of like, they have a very classic race or a class that we brought in because we do want to keep these classic classes that are throughout gaming in our game like the paladin which is in this race's uh um society but then we also bring in the lightkin and the radiant which are two very different classes i remember i played the radiant in one of sean's campaigns in college i believe um or sean's only campaign i should say and <laughs> it was a lot of fun because there's a really unique <laughs> class where you make a lantern like a sub pocket of the universe and you can store a bunch of stuff in there and like almost like a bag of holding in uh, classic uh, RPGs. My I wasn't allowed to DM too much. <laughs> My, I, uh... I did way too much favoritism. <laughs> I'm sure it was a lot of payback. Right. The... Oh, it was. Oh, hey, Sean, I want to do this. Nope, Riley, you roll. Oh, I want to do that. Oh, yep, uh... nope, you got it. <laughs> Doug, Doug, well worked on um, bravery, diplomacy, and mental fortitude. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's more, it's um, not a common, well, it's common, but it's a unique system for us. Yeah, absolutely. So the way I approached, um, you know, stats were all over the place back in the day. I've, I've been all over the board uh, trying to, like, put a nail in how the house stats would work. Um in the beginning, you just rolled for everything, and it was kind of like a random generator for your character, which was funny for us at times because, you know, the die kind of decided whether you were fat, short, and ugly. But now... <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was, that was a fun one. <laughs> but now you, you, get, you get more freedom. You know, I let you pick your height, your weight, um, and the stats are more used towards, like, you get an incline, um, which is kind of unique where you just roll a 20-sided die, and there's brackets. I think there's four of them, uh, 1 to 5, 6 to 10, 11 to 15, and 16 to 20. And depending on where you roll, you get a, a bonus point in one of your actions. So, like, if you rolled an 18, that might be a plus 1 to physical actions, meaning, you know, translate it into an RPG universe or into role-playing is your guys just, uh, in naturally stronger than most. Um, and... So there's stuff like that. We uh, we also have, like uh, he was saying, so with each race, um, they kind of, you know, classically have a, a demeanor to them just based off of their culture, whether they're warriors or more intellectuals um, or maybe secluded and more nature-based. Depending on their the culture of the race, uh, their, their stats kind of vary a little bit um so there's like riley was saying there's three kind of main stats that come along with each race um and that's mental fortitude bravery and what was the other one right diplomacy. diplomacy 
And so bravery is, which we've talked about a little bit in the campaign um, that we were playing in the previous stream, is uh, bravery is how uh, initiation works in our universe, in our game. Um, you roll for your bravery stat. This uh, It's pretty self-explanatory. It tells you how brave your character is. Um, and that put up against the minions and the bosses, bravery depends on who goes when in an attack sequence. Um, Saves a lot of time now compared to back in the day. Yes, back in the day, it was very free-formed. It was just like, well, I guess you know. This really nailed it down. Um, so each each race has a bonus of some sort to bravery. I don't know much off the top of my head, but like, let's. It's usually either a plus one or plus two or. Uh, or zero. yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't have the book up. I did exit it out. Humans of it. have a plus one. Humans yeah. have a plus one. So that means if you roll your bravery die, you got a. I ro uh, everything's on a d20 in the system. If you rolled a 15, you would get a plus one and you would have a 16 bravery. And that means, you know, permanently you have a 16 bravery. Now, things you do throughout the universe and the game and leveling up and items can change that. But naturally, you have a 16. You have a 16 bravery. And so that is your bravery in the initiation thing. So, and all the minions have their own bravery score. So, like if you go up against a goblin who might have a ten bravery, you would go before him in the uh, beginning of the rounds. Um, as for diplomacy, that adds to your negotiation stat, I believe. Um, and so that will, if you have a plus one plus two or zero which tends to be all the bonuses for races as i try to stay around that um that will go towards your negotiation action and this kind of hits on how you know and from an rp standpoint this states of like how you know diplomatic that race is do they talk to other races are they open are they free um to to figure out things via words or you know, a more battle-centered culture might have a low uh, diplomacy score. Um, they might counter with a higher bravery score. Yeah, exactly. And then the mental fortitude was something uh, weird because I ran into this problem where there was no way to combat, like, mind control and stuff like that. Uh, I really hit home with this in a recent campaign I was running that will be a far way in the future um, book uh, to be released. But there are mind caps, which is actually the uh, the mushroom gremlin. Yeah, there are. <laughs> that is the uh, the mushroom gremlin creature that is uh, the the uh, standby picture for my Twitch channel. Uh, if you guys want to see what one of those look like, but uh, he these mind caps are little mushroom gremlin creatures that can take control and, and make you do actions uh, by looking at you or making eye contact with you and when I, re I invented this creature I was like okay this is neat this is unique you know people wouldn't think these little mushrooms are tough or hard which they aren't but they can turn a party against each other but then I was like well this seems a bit overpowered and so I came up with the the will stat and so the will stat again is kind of like bravery roll uh, a die and then your mental fortitude stat goes with that so this mental fortitude from a rp standpoint we'll talk about how intellectual a creature is or how self-aware you know yeah, it, how, how like, strong your mental 
capacity is to overcome. Exactly. Yeah, how self-aware you are. Where something like, um, again, the Genesis, the uh, the elemental creatures, like I said, they lack a bit of humanity. They lack a bit of individuality. So, assumingly, they should have a low willpower, a low mental fortitude. Where something super intellectual and magical and, and like kind of like the crystal mines who, like I said, their lantern can open up pocket dimensions. They should have a higher uh, mental fortitude. Um, so that affects your will stat. Um, gives a bonus to it, zero plus one or plus two, um, and your will stat is what decides if something can like command you to do something with a mind control spell or something like that. It does go up to plus three. Does it? Okay. Yeah. Um, the most annoying part uh, when you introduce those mushrooms, you just kept on. You uh, time. You just had a you wait. Cut, you cut out a little bit there, Sean. Oh. When he first introduced the uh, mushroom, he just had us walk away from him. He didn't have him force us to attack yeah. until later on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so as we're, we're closing in on this uh, time, I did want to touch on two topics here. One, this uh, what I brought up on my screen, I, um, I highly recommend, even if you are watching or if you're listening to this on Apple iPad, uh, Apple what is it called? Podcasts, Spotify, um, CastBox, however you're listening to this, I recommend going to the YouTube channel when I upload this video and literally skip ahead to this time that you're listening to. Uh, this piece of art that I have up on here is uh, one of the races. Um, this is the Stone Soul, and this has to be one of my favorite pieces of art in the game. Uh, I, I was absolutely blown out of my mind, and I told her to 100 percent uh to put this in her portfolio um these are there are i i just can't express how amazing it is and how much i love it um the stone souls are a playable race that you can play as um they for those who are listening like i said go you should go check it out right now go where i am on my screen go look at it but they are essentially these rock humanoids who are overgrown with, with plants and and uh, and vegetation, and um, they they are very very cool. Um, and I just wanted to give a highlight to to that. In my guidebook, I mentioned my artist. It's a Claudette Morel, um, but in my guidebook, I have her name and her reference in there, and uh, she's absolutely amazing. She did all the art um, for the guidebook. And so I just wanted to mention that. I had that up here for a little showcase. Yeah, absolutely. I'll put her... Yeah, I'll absolutely put that in the description um, for her. Um, and then I also talk about our graphic artist who designed the layout for the book. Well, I, did, I, you know, I wrote everything and I put it all in a, in a layout, but she went in and designed it and made it from... She made it from a high school publisher project to a professional designed guidebook, oh, yeah. and it looks absolutely incredible. Oh, yeah, she did a fantastic job with that. And her name is Catherine, and I do not know her last name, unfortunately, off the top of my head, but she is also referenced in the back of the uh, guidebook. Um, something else I want to bring up here is another piece of art um, that they did, uh, Claudette did, but this um, 
this is something a little important or a little a little unique to the universe is I have people who uh, like Josh who is another I would say probably the fourth developer of the game who uh, unfortunately could not get to the stream tonight who um, he is much more of a fan of the sci-fi uh, aspect where me personally I like the uh, the fantasy, the fantasy uh, yeah. side of that coin but I wanted to appeal to that so there's something uh, it can be slightly confusing but it's called meta magic and uh, well it's called synergy magic and it makes meta things so synergy magic is like a plasma um, magic that can control machine parts and the machine being controlled by it is meta and so what I have here is a, um, a meta arm so it's a an arm, an artificial arm, uh, that's powered by uh, synergy magic, and you can see, you know, there, how she kind of did it out as a blueprint. And um, there's a whole uh, description and stuff in the guidebook about, you know, if you get, uh, you can get a prosthetic like this for a lot of money um, with specialty mages and stuff like that. And uh, this kind of adds that sci-fi thing because there are minions in the manual that are made completely of meta um you know robot-esque creatures that can shoot plasma beams and stuff but we gave it a magic fantasy um like reasoning behind it that way it fits in our universe but it also appeals to that kind of person um and what's real neat about this is we have some fantasy languages we've written up and you can see that those are used to describe this um so you can actually go into our guidebook and and uh and you uh, would be able to decipher these of what they say um which is real neat uh so that's something i did want to mention just because it's, it's another unique thing about lore wars um to wrap up I think uh, I'll talk a little bit about the the future of, of Lore Wars and what we have planned. Um, just to give people, you know, a little idea of our timeline and stuff like that. Uh, I plan to launch. I don't have a specific day yet, um, but I plan to launch the guidebook, um, meaning it will be available to buy to purchase the PDF as well as to pre-order a hardcover or softcover um, physical copy on the website. Um, you should be able to do that. I am planning for the summer of 2020. I do not have a date yet set. I'm waiting on some legal things to go through just so like we can mass produce, um, you know, 100% legally and uh, so we're 100% protected from like copyright and stuff like that. Um, before I have a def definite, as well as I'm window shopping for uh, a printing company to use. Um, so that is the guidebook. Um, alongside with that is the Seal of Fate uh, adventure book, which is uh, the storyboard was completely written by Riley. Um, and that is going to be uh, hopefully released very, very close to the guidebook. Um, we do plan on doing a bundle where you can buy the guidebook and get the Seal of Fate with it for either a really cheap upcharge or maybe like the first 10 would get it for free with it or something kind of promotional. We don't know exactly how we're going to do that. But um, the Seal of Fate is a short adventure. So adventure is a short like 
uh, you know, five to 10 session, um, depending on how fast your party moves and how much you, you allow, um, you know, might take a month or so to get through where the, uh, campaign book will, you know, take the better half of a year, depending on what you do or how often you play much longer, um, is what I'm getting at. The Seal Fate, um, adventure book is going to be our first playable, uh, uh, bit that we release of our own universe or of our own timeline um like we did get reviewed recently by rpg reviewers um on facebook who gave us a b which you know i'm proud of that b give, give it what it is that um they said it good themselves where if you just buy the guidebook it has everything you need to start your own campaign and play from the minute you get it so you know that is a huge plus we have minions we have items we have spells we have the races how to be like a character the rules everything packed in that guidebook for you but uh you know if you want to explore the universe we've crafted for you the seal fate is the first step to that um it is a prequel to the ring of worlds campaign uh which this preview and podcast is a stream and podcast is playing through right now um i mentioned at the beginning there are spoilers but there are many adventure paths, so your playthrough of it could be completely different. Um, past that, right now on my table, on my <laughs> desk, on my my uh, hypothetical desk, I have give or take three to four more campaigns that are already story storyboarded um, and and in the process of being made. We have a guidebook plus that is uh in the makings you know another thing that's on my table but might take a while um which will add i think three to four more playable races to the game uh it'll refine any rules that we find out are missed in the guidebook and uh add more items add more spells um more minions uh and and more just content for you at a vanilla level um, and that would be released at a much cheaper cost than the guidebook will be. Um, and we have one other type of book that we are in the midst of hashing out, which, uh, so we have the adventure book, we have the guidebook, we have the campaign book, um, and then we have a challenge book kind of hashing on the, on the burners here, which will be 10 or so consecutive, um, encounters whether it be combat or a full action encounter or even an rping event um that increase in difficulty from one to ten and your party you know whether you have to do it all in one session or so the the idea is less of a story and more of just some challenges to see if your party can get through it as well what's well, there you go. Yeah, so that uh, that's on the burner. About ten, I think it's about ten or twelve. There you go. Um, and the the main idea is we don't really give you a story on that. It's just more of a theme. And uh, you know, dungeon masters can pick one out of those and just use it, or you know, sling the story together along, or you can just sit down and play it as like a board game, less of an RP uh, role playing adventure. Um, but it adds a little spice to things. And so that's kind of content wise what we're looking at. Uh, I have another podcast planned at release um, where it's going to be a lot of this. This is kind of like a, a preview to that podcast of 
where we talk about the game, the universe, the mechanics, that kind of stuff, uh, do a Q&A. And uh, I plan on doing that pretty much on release of the guidebook is when we'll start that. Um, I think that's about it. You know, it's, it's a lot of planning, a lot of work. Um, a lot of a lot of stuff is going out there. We uh, I'm working outreach, outreach, outreach. Uh, we've come actually just in the last month. It's come crazy far. I've built our social media presence all this last month, pretty much. Um, it's been a it's been an adventure. Um, so yeah, if you guys want to follow us, make sure to go check out our Twitter. Uh, that's at Lore Wars RPG. Um, on there is linked to the website. Uh, it's a Wix page, which will give you uh, links to our YouTube channel, uh, to our Twitch channel, and to our podcast channels, the major ones. Um, we're on Apple uh, Podcast. We're on Spotify, uh, CastBox, Anchor, and many more. Um, you can see the out-of-order <laughs> pre-orders for the books right now because um, like I said I haven't def given a definite date for that yet um, and yeah the something I did want to mention actually finally is uh, I had a few questions how you know there's no way to help us out right now because um, we're not really taking money we're not taking pre-orders we're not really doing any of that right now the best absolute best way you can help us out right now uh, one share it with your friends uh get the word around Two, subscribe wherever you're listening to and uh rate or comment um you know i've done a lot of research into the marketing and to outreach lately to try and get our social media out there our presence out there and uh the algorithms on stuff like youtube and apple uh, podcasts is all based off of ratings and comments so you know even if you're just uh if you're a good friend of ours or whatever just throw a five star review on whatever you're watching throw a comment on it subscribe uh even if you want to turn off notifications uh it it helps us out immensely it gets us out there on the uh on the like recommended channels for other people when things like that are happening when we're getting activity um, um, Feel free to ask, send us questions too. If you have any any questions about the game, anything we talk about, um, yeah, absolutely. If you, have, if you have a play set up or something set up. Yeah, I mean, you can d you can you can privately message me right on Twitter. Um, that's how a few people have gotten a hold of me. Um, you can put in a comment uh, on the website. There is a uh, contact form thing where you can put in your email and request to talk to me and I check that daily um, you can comment on the YouTube video and I'll get right back to you on there uh, yeah you, you can definitely get a hold of us um, but other than that thank you guys for, for visiting thank you to my two developers and uh, next week we will uh, be joining back into our player party hopefully to uh, be continue the adventure through the Wolf uh, Guards Academy. Thank you, Sean. No problem. And thank you, Riley. It's been a pleasure.